I don't believe in no one's scenarios. Data, 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 I cannot make bricks without clay. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. <laughs> Hello and welcome to a special Cheeky Scientist radio show. This is the first time that I'm going to be talking about how to get hired into user experience researcher roles. This is one of the most exciting career tracks for PhDs available right now. It is, as we say, buzzworthy, as in just that phrase, user experience researcher, sometimes user experience analyst gets people excited, gets employers excited. They want to hire PhDs into this role because of your understanding of the difference between quantitative data and qualitative and how both are important. Uh, qu- uh, quantitative data, right? every company has a website, apps, uh, that, things that develop metrics that can be analyzed quantitatively to understand user experiences, user uh, uh, progress through their company or their, their product pipeline or uh, patient feedback, whatever it might be. But there's this qualitative side, uh, whether it be sending out surveys, having focus groups, one-on-one interactions that are very important uh, to pharmaceutical companies, to biotech companies, tech companies, even the hospitality industry, uh, the retail industry. We, we just had PhDs hired uh, companies like Hilton, Marriott Hotels. It's big in the hospitality industry right now. We've had other PhDs hired at Home Depot, uh, Walmart, uh, supermarkets uh, for their ability to analyze data and to uh, put it together into conclusions, a story. And all of you know about the importance of stories because to get a grant funded or a paper published, you have to what? Tell a story with the data. So we're going to dive in here. We have a user experience researcher on with us with extensive uh, experience in UX roles. So let's jump into that now. Hi, Erica. Hey there. Can you hear me? I can. Really appreciate her coming on. She's a PhD who came up through the Cheeky Scientist programs, understands the methodology for getting hired, and has been in user experience research in industry, has, is very established, has worked for very large companies, uh, as well as mid-sized, small companies. She understands everything you need to know about being a user experience researcher. Uh, Erica, I just want to start by asking this question. I love asking this question first. What do you love the most about user experience research and why did you get into this career track? I think the thing I love the most is the fact that you get to work with a team and then you get to witness the impact of your research as as the team develops the product and rolls into the market so you can actually see the change instead of just wondering when, you know, when will something be done? Yeah. Yeah. So you get to produce something. Now, demand for UX researchers is increasing worldwide. It is a dramatic increase. Okay. So you you can see the the value here in billions. For reference point, this is like 10x higher than most industries that are growing uh, are valued at. This growth rate, right? This is a, a moderate growth rate. You can find a lot of references. Some have it double this. This is a high growth rate, okay? If you had four, five, six, seven, eight percent, that's a high growth rate. This is extremely high. A lot of the numbers, I'll show you some here in a minute, are, are closer to 20 plus percent. It's expected to grow by a factor of 100 with 100 million professionals by the end of 2050. It is a massive role. So I'm gonna come back to rationale, Erica, why? Why do you think UX is exploding 
And why is it like this insider secret? And it really is that PhDs are the ideal hire for this role. Right. So I think more and more companies are realizing that in order to get get people stay with their product, keep using their product, they need to create an experience people love. And that's that's why they need to shift the focus from the product itself to the experience that the user have in interacting with the product. So the value of user research or mm. UX in general has been, uh, you know, seen by more industries and more companies. And uh, they need people who have expertise in conduct research and they, they need people to have expertise in communicating that research, interpreting the data and the research results to a general you know, population, general audience. So that's, that's why a lot of the companies are look for PhDs or people have PhD level experience. Yeah, well said. And I think for a lot of you, I mean, you, can, you should be able to identify with this. I mean, how many of you, how many of you work in a lab and have had to use an instrument that has frustrated you at some point? You had to use this instrument and it was frustrating. Maybe you even had to get on the phone and call customer service for that instrument so you could figure it out and get your research done. How many of you have had this experience? Uh, yeah, all of us, right? Even if you don't have, haven't worked in a lab, you've had to use some software program. Maybe it's a, a software program that's helped you create your lesson plans or whatever else. You know how frustrating it can be and how far behind, really, especially in terms of research and research devices, a lot of companies are. They need you in this role to make the user experience better because the user experience is the product. It is certainly a large part of the product. It's not just the product itself because it limits how many people or how quickly you can do it, right? If the user experience was better, if the software was easier to use, if the instrument was easier to use, you could do more research, get more data faster and the world would be a better place overall. And so that's the connection that Eric is making here. And that's why it's in such demand. Um, just even a simple search will show lots of this, right? Up, up, up 20% from 2019. That is an insane growth rate. Out of all of the career tracks we've been talking about, this is the highest growth rate by far. And there's like some magic to it, you know, because it touches software. And anytime you, you connect things in unique ways, right? It's kind of like a software thing, user experience research, but you're connecting it to all of business and every client now has some sort of experience with the product. That's where the magic happens. And it's one of those magic roles where you're in demand. You're the number one candidate sought after any, anybody with a PhD. Um, so let's understand what it is. Uh, it's, a, it's a broad term, right? Practical, experiential, has an effective meaning. You know, anything from uh, design and aesthetics to utility, et cetera, are embedded in this. But can you help us with your real world experience? Let's say an attendee talks to you for the first time about this role, how, how would you help them understand what UX actually is in industry? Well, in industry, UX broadly kind of falls into UX design and UX research. For the research role, you work really closely with designers and product team to what, what you do is basically answer their questions about the product so you can help them determine where this product is going next step and uh, to make sure that their vision of this product is aligned with what customer actually wants or needs and address some of the, you know, the pain points the customer currently have that the product is actually valuable for your guests and your customers. So you are, as a researcher, you're, you're, you're the problem solver, you're the expert, and you're also the voice. You, are, you, rep, you, you come from a place where you represent the voice of your customer. Right. And, and, 
this is key, multidisciplinary. It does not matter what your background is as a PhD. No, no career path has that ever been more true than for this role. It doesn't matter if you're STEM, non-STEM, you classify yourself as humanities, social sciences, life sciences, chemistry, it does not matter. It's your ability to understand quantitative and qualitative research, research in general, analysis in general, development, right? That will get you hired into this role. Uh, so that should be comforting because that's one of the first questions most PhDs ask is, can I do this with my background? You can. Let's talk a little bit about this. Right? This is something I think a lot of us have uh, pushed down in academia, feelings, emotions, empathy, right? So what's the emotional part of user experience and, and how is it context, content specific? How is it dynamic, Erica? Right. So in a lot of the tests I run, there is a big part that we address the look and feel of certain things. So if the things, if the, the things your product is usable or where people can accomplish their tasks, that's like the, the bottom level of their needs. It also needs to be, you know, spark joy. They need to be aesthetically pleasing. It also sometimes needs to be on brand with your brand color and the, how the brand is represented. So there are a lot of uh, things that's like emotion or just people's feelings that goes just beyond whether or not you can use this thing to accomplish your task. Yeah. And so, so think about uh, this is, uh, this can be hard for some of you. Some of you, you'll know this right away. It's not a prerequisite, but it's what you'll be trained on doing in the user experience squad program. How does a certain product make a person feel? How does it make you feel? You know, and we're talking a uh, subtle variations here. Does it make you feel empowered? Does it make you feel smart? Does it make you feel important? Does it frustrate you? Is it easy? Is it a joy to work with? Uh, all of these things. And this is, you know, think about the research tools you use on a daily basis, the antibodies you use, the, the software programs that you use, the software packages that you use, uh, the, the teaching materials that you use. That experience, you know, uh, think about the, even the experience of working in a, with a certain professor over another professor, right? These, these emotions are, are tied into it. The cool thing is, is there's a way to, to mix the qualitative and the quantitative uh, to make the overall experience and the uptake of any particular product. And again, it, can, it doesn't have to be a, a software product. It can be uh, the hospitality industry, right? The experience somebody would have with booking their hotel rooms, but also once they're at the hotel, the experience somebody has with buying uh, a product at a department store and then going in and actually getting the product and what it's like to come home with the product and start using it. Okay, so let's go through the main UX components here. Uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about everything from beta launching, evaluating, just the cycle here of UX research, UX design, why some people also have titles of UX analysts. Uh, and then just walk us through the cycle if you would, Erica. Right. So I think it's a good representation that this is a cycle. This is not linear. Uh, you, you develop your product in iteration and, you know, you start from evaluating whether or not this, this feature is valuable for business and whether or not it's going to be valuable for your customers. And then you will collect data to support your hypothesis or answer some of the research questions. And you could also conduct some uh, look into, you know, table research looking into your past study to see what has been done on this topic in your company. And, and then uh, with, your, with your fresh data and some data you collected from other teams, you, you will be able to help the design by developing your personas or by developing scenarios so your designers know 
what, who they are designing for and what kind of situation their customers are going to be in. So in this step, you're really a bridge between the customer and the team and you want to make them, you know, emphasize with what the customer is going through while they are using the product. And then after that, the design will give you start from usually a very rough draft of the prototype. Uh, it, it's, um, it, most of the time it's very low fidelity. It could be just a scratch paper. It could be just a wireframe. And then at this point, usually you would test in iteration as a UX researcher. So you test the prototype for several runs and then pin down the ones that is most favored by the customer and you give them the reason why. And then that's how the design eventually kicked into the production stage. And the uh, and even, even between the design and production, there are a lot of different research circle cycles going between you're not doing one project and you're done. It's going to be maybe several projects to finally push the design into the production stage. And then uh, after that, it's a, it's a matter of handoff, uh, what features have been tested, that's, you know, that's, that's good, that should be prioritized and focused. And then what features can be, you know, put on a lower priority. This is all based on rounds and rounds of your user research. And then the, the product will be launched. Most, if you're working with an agile team, a lot of the time the features are going to be released in iteration. There's only one small tiny bit of feature being released at a time. Meanwhile, as a UX researcher, you're always constantly working with the rest of the team. You go through this evaluation research analysis cycle almost constantly and it's you might be in different yes. stages for different cycle at the same time if that makes sense it does and and i think the cyclical work and how quickly it moves is something a lot of you don't have experience with so i mean let me ask you this how many of you have a lab or a classroom that utilizes a very specific project management methodology so specific in fact that it has a name and you could go to a conference on that type of methodology your lab, your classroom does not have that. And it's going to be most of you, right? So this is the problem with academia. There's no real project management. It's, it's closest to what they call waterfall, where you plan an experiment or a lesson plan, and then you start executing it, and then you get data. And it's only when you get the data, sometimes weeks later, if not longer, can you only start over. So for development, because things move faster in industry, and they need them to be more accurate, uh, they come in these sprints or these cycles. So that's an agile project management term. There's others. It could be Scrum. I mean, you could even, in some cases, uh, use PM Boke or, I mean, Six Sigma. There, some of them are a bit more operational. It just depends on the size of the company. You will learn a different way of doing things in this program. That's important. You don't know how to do it. You'll be asked these questions. You can't get into a user experience researcher role or really any high-level role in industry without understanding industry project management, the methodologies. Not only this, but notice this side. This is all development. This is research. How many, and both of them are required if you want to get into a user UX researcher role or a UX analyst. This is not the split in the job role. Both of these are under the UX researcher role. If you have research experience, you all have PhDs. If you wrote a thesis or are going to write one, right? You have research. Here's the problem though. Think about industry R&D in general. That's the R in R&D, but D, development. How many of you have zero experience when it comes to development? Type in zero. You've never developed a product, right? You've never taken your research in the lab and translated into a product or a service, right? Of course. How are you going to do that? Do you understand 
the language of that, the process that is included in this program because it's so crucial to being a user experience researcher. You can learn it and you, you need to learn it before you even write your resume because those terms and understanding those concepts really, really do matter. And don't forget, we'll come back to this later, but don't forget what Erica said too. Your job is to try, like why are UX researchers paid so much? Because they don't just get the technical data or understand these technical concepts. They have to translate it into business concepts and be able to explain it to a non-technical person. So you need business acumen. Crucial to understand that. Okay, so why is UX research important? And then measuring the impact. So we can start with the rationale in terms of why, why companies will pay so much for this now, right? You can just uh, use your real world understanding to explain this list in short. And then how, what are the metrics of success? Can you walk us through some of these metrics? So this one real quick here, Erica, and then walk us through each of these. Right. So yes, it saves time and money if you spend years and years to develop a product and you after your release you find out you know nobody is going to use it nobody likes it it doesn't really address user needs then you lose a lot of money so for ux researcher uh they really go in the early stage even for anything goes into develop development to identify the value of certain product uh, and identify who those products are supposed to for so you're not going into the development totally blind and in terms of measuring Conversion rate is something I, I'm pretty familiar with. That was one of my first UX project. Um, our website just released a new feature and then the conversion rate just start dropping for no reason. And that was among my first couple of months there. Um, they called me in and asked me to, you know, try to figure that, try to figure out why this is happening. So I was able to do the research with um, my team and then found out the reasons the conversion rate was dropping is because people were confused by two of the button designs. So we get back and just redesign those two buttons real quick and then the conversion rates just stop dropping and start to climb back to normal. So that, that is where as a US researcher, your value you know, shines. You, you got caught in there when something is on fire and you were able to tell people, this is the reason something is happening and you can make some suggestions on how to fix it and then in real time, you will be able to see in numbers that the conversion rate stopped dropping and yes. this is all, yeah, originating research. And it's really exciting as a PhD because you, you get a lot of data that has impact with the real world and real people, uh, which makes it exciting to figure out that rationale. I mean, really, you get, to, you get to figure out causality and you get access to everything. You get to come in as the respected person who is able to figure out that rationale. Because the designers aren't going to figure that out. The uh, programmers are not going to figure that out. It's you as the UX researcher. And you get to have this specialized knowledge because you understand data. And there's also that component of the whoever the person is, the user, the customer, what their story is. So where in their life are they using this product? Who is that person? Like imagine uh, the people that are creating a, a medical device or a research tool or diagnostic that you use in the lab a center view, fuge, make it simple, right? Somebody has thought about, well, the companies that have been more successful, they've had somebody think about, okay, a PhD student, a postdoc is using this centrifuge. When are they in their day, are they using it? What's their mindset when they are using it? What's more important to them, saving time, right? Or having the, the software that's on the, the device being easy to figure out without having to read the little booklet that we all hate to read. What's more important? What, what's their end goal? What are they trying to actually do? Uh, 
all of that is what you get to figure out and how it connects directly with the usability of the product. How often they use it. How often are they gonna come back and buy a second centrifuge? What would make them tell other labs that that is the centrifuge to use? So hopefully that helps you connect the dots a little bit. Okay, let's look at this, uh, the UX process from a different point of view here, right? So we're what would the, the process in terms of mapping this out look like, Erica? You said objectives all the way to synthesis. Right. This is the process of uh, kind of your typical UX project. You really start from collecting feedback from your stakeholders about what their objectives are, what they are trying to achieve with this research. And then they have some assumptions or they have some research questions. You can, this is a collaborating process that is not just you writing out the objectives. You are there to listen to your stakeholder to get their objectives. And as the expert, you help them to frame the research question and you help them to select, this is the most appropriate research method because you're trying to get X, Y, and Z. And uh, from that point on, as a researcher, you're the expert in, you know, carrying, execute the research. Uh, it could be interviews, it could be surveys, and you're the one who's doing all the analysis. Uh, but after that, you need to write them in a report or present them in a slide in a way that your stakeholder will understand what you did and why, why all that uh, leads to the conclusion of yes. X, Y, and Z, right? And the synthesis part is important. So, I mean, I just talked about it briefly, but can you tell us from your point of view, why is that so important? What does it look like to be able to communicate to an executive, a non-technical person, a manager, an investor? And how did you learn to do that better and better uh, as a user experience researcher? Right. So... Nobody is going to read a 60-page report if they don't have to. I, sometimes I get off, asked by the leadership, I just need a bullet point of, of three, top three things you learned. And, and so you, you need to, as a researcher, you, you both need to be able to write a 60-page re report, store it somewhere. But meanwhile, you need to shrink it down and reframe it and present it to the general audience to give them the actions they need to take or the biggest takeaway they need to know if they don't want to know anything else. And uh, this is also a process that sometimes you need to work out with your team. Sometimes the team likes to read a re longer report. Some teams prefer you do a presentation, just read out the, the results and some of them just need a bullet point. So depends on what your team needs. You, you need to be flexible in terms of how you frame and present your deliverables. Yes, exactly. Uh, so we're looking at a different framework here. So beyond the process of UX to product development. Now, user experience researchers, they'll work with product managers. A product manager can be somebody, I mean, if it's a company the size of Google, it can be a product manager for you know, uh, one feature of Gmail, just as an example. Uh, so product managers, it, there can be all kinds of products. It can be software. It can be somebody who manages a certain type of medical device in a company that has multiple medical devices. But what does the, the development process look like? So you'll be trained on development, which again is the, the big zero that all of you have any understanding of currently. What does it look like from ideation and discovery all the way to, to listening and uh, implementing? So the discovery stage is usually referred to as, you know, the green fields research or the blue sky where you don't know what, what you don't know. Uh, you want to see what's out there, what, what kind of identify opportunity for the, for the company that 
there are certain frustration people having that's not being addressed and solving those could potentially, you know, benefit uh, the company in terms of, you know, bring more users or generate profit. And then you go into the exploratory stage where you do have some idea about, I want to learn specifically how people, I don't know, delay their email and when are they using that? So you, you want to explore what people are doing right now and what the specific things they are. They, they tell you that they wish to be improved or with specific things that frustrate them. And after that, you will more, most likely to work with a team to develop some sort of prototype or some sort of concept to test uh, so that you the, 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 those are, these are the stage where you kind of identify solutions to the problem that you, you learned from the exploratory stage. Mm. And after that, maybe you can release like a beta feature or just release the new solution to a small group of people. And then you see how the actual solution performs in, in, a, in a real life setting. So that's when listening happens, you kind of just observe how, how this new release is doing and the, whether or not it's addressing the, you know, the frustration now, whether or not it's solving the problem for, for the users. Absolutely. And, and, you know, Going through these stages over and over again is what will make you an effective UX researcher. And, and so start to think about the UX teams. You'll be trained on the teams uh, in the program, but we've talked about product managers, right? We've talked about designers. Uh, you are at a critical uh, coordination point with these people, and, and you're the person that has to bring all of this together with the rationale, which you have been trained on extensively, maybe you didn't notice it, in academia, and which why PhDs are uh, in such high demand for this role. Okay, so let's get practical. What's the day-to-day look like? You know, everything from how much time do you spend on an average week, let's say, Erica, doing research, analysis, reports, administrative work, meetings, uh, training, present, presenting, et cetera. Um, depends on where you are in terms of how big the organization is, but, you know, meetings are a big part because you're not a research on your own subject. You need to listen to your team members about what problem they are trying to solve or they are trying to develop. So uh, a lot of time on the average week of my, I spend time, uh, you know, a lot of time just meeting with my stakeholders and gathering their feedback. And uh, the rest of the time is kind of distributed among, depends on which stage of the research you're in. Uh, I'll be drafting the, you know, research plan carry out the research and uh, writing the report. Meanwhile, um, there's a, uh, if, if depends on the team, you might need to do a lot of legwork too, like recruiting participants, set up your lab, uh, email people to make sure, you know, participants show up on time. And then last but not least, if, if you are, well, as a PhD, you, you should have some mentoring experience already. And if there are new people going on board, or if just you want to kind of educate your team about UX practice in general, you need to spend some time to running workshops with people to teach them just the basics of uh, UX uh, research that's related to their work. Yeah, and, and I think this role, it's really fleshed out for you in the program, understanding the day-to-day. Why is this important? Because if you understand the day-to-day, you'll get hired in, into the role. I mean, let me ask you this. How many of you have no industry experience? So if you want to get into a high-level role, cer- certainly high-level roles, they're all filled through referrals and through people who currently have those jobs. 
This is a huge component of the user experience squad. You're getting access to current user experience researchers in industry who can tell you about job openings and a network of people that are sharing job openings in different locations. Uh, Germany's our fourth or fifth most represented country overall on Cheeky Scientist too. This is important because all of you will think of excuses. Oh, I just, oh, you checked Indeed. You checked Nature Jobs. You Googled job postings. They're never posted online. Like they, they don't have to. Only the world's largest companies are required by law to post their jobs online. And even then, if they're filled internally, they, they're posted, but they're already filled because publicly traded companies have to fill them, uh, have to post them online. So if you're just doing a quick scan, you're never going to get hired doing a quick scan online. That is why the network aspect is so important. Networking from scratch is awful. That's why there's always a network of people working in this role with any of our advanced programs and why you get access to a network of user experience researchers. Important point. Uh, for all of those zeros, that's, that's what's working against you. How do you overcome this? You get trained on the day-to-day. So if you're going in with no industry experience, already they're going to be like, can this person do the job? Here's the good news. Over 90% of PhDs that we've gotten hired into this role had no previous experience before their first job in that role. Of course, right? And most PhDs, they're freshers when they're coming out. Most of you don't have industry experience, as you just saw. That doesn't matter. You can still get hired. How do you make it happen, though? You, you speak the language of user experience now, not later. Get trained on that. You understand the day-to-day, you understand the metrics of success, you understand product development, everything that we've been talking about. You have access to people working in that role that say, yes, this person can do this job. That's how it works. And if you can't wrap your head around that, then you'll stay unemployed. It's that simple. All right, skills needed to become a UX researcher. So Erica, let's break this down. We have the technical skills, the transferable skills. Can you just walk through each of these quickly, maybe highlight the most important ones, and then talk about business acumen too, if you would. Right. So for, for, I think for everyone who has a PhD, you probably already have one or more technical skills that's required listed up there. You need to be able to do research, either qualitative or quantitative, and you need to interpret or analyze your research data and present them, you know, communicate them with uh, your stakeholder, right? But in terms of transferable skills, uh, the one thing that jumps out really to me is communication is how are you going to tell, convince people you can do the job and how you can convince people that this, this is, you need to essentially tell a story about your research project and uh, let your team member understand uh, why this is your recommended action versus some other direction. Um, and um, collaboration, because you work with a cross-functional team, you don't only work with researchers, you most likely will work with engineers, product managers, designers, they, they all you know, come from different fields and they all speak kind of different language, uh, which is why it's very important as a researcher to listen to them, listen to their needs and uh, understand their perspective as well. Um, in terms of business acumen, I mean, US research is research, but the, the end goal is to bring experienced people up, but it also you need to take consideration about the business impact. Otherwise, for example, when I was working in the hotel industry, um, the, yeah, everyone wants to, to, to stay in a hotel for free, but you cannot suggest that because it's not going to be good for business. Instead, you, you need to come, uh, come around with uh, 
uh, insights that benefit business owners, benefit hotel owners, as well as make your guests happy. Yeah, great example. I mean, how, and, and I think this is important. Business acumen, the inability to speak the language of industry is one of the top reasons they won't hire PhDs. A huge report was done by Dow Chemical, and that was, that was number one. Uh, lack of understanding of industry, lack of business acumen. I mean, how many of you have no formal business training, no business, really would say no real business acumen, right? This is important. I mean, even simple concepts we were never trained on, like organizational behavior, economics at a, a macro or micro level beyond, you know, the supply and demand chart that we probably all know. Uh, commercialization in general, right? You haven't done anything on the commercialization side of industry. You got, and you, you have to understand this. Uh, revenues, profits, COGS. Do you even know what COGS means? This is important for this role and for any top-level role. They, they can hire a data analyst, right? They can hire an analyst to crunch numbers. That's not what they want. They want somebody who can come in and understand the rationale for this role, but also who can translate business data into business data. Excuse me, uh, technical data into business data, right? Technical concepts, technical rationale into something that makes sense and is actionable for business professional. That's why getting business training really can make a PhD unstoppable in industry, certainly in these higher level roles. So we talked about this earlier. Every single background, if you don't see your name on this list, it doesn't matter. We're just showing the list that a lot of people who count themselves out, right? Life sciences, physical sciences, chemistry, of course, social sciences. We have a lot of people who are in the non-hard sciences that don't think they can get hired into these high level jobs. You can, especially because of your, your qualitative research Top industry sectors that employ UX researchers. It's all across the board, right? It's not just technology. It's finance, consulting, software, banking, telecommunications. And they're, they're looking for PhDs for all of these roles, okay? Let's talk about the actual job search and getting hired into this role. Networking information. So somebody brought this up, like, I don't see any job postings, okay? You've gone through the process. How did you find out about job opportunities? And looking back, what would you have spent more time preparing for? Um, if, if I could do this all over again, I will start networking as early as possible. Um, and so the job boards, if you look for LinkedIn, Google, yes, they are there, but then there's also a more invite only groups that have job information. So you want yeah. to get you expand your network there and then keep an eye. And also sometimes I actually got this job because of a coworker of mine reached out to me and asked if I'm interested in taking a look. So, yes. uh, so getting the, the, the job information before they, they get posted is also could give you um, advantage in terms of um, job search. So network, just do informational interviews with people, you know, build a relationship before any job posting, and then you will get, you know, rewarded because of that. Yeah. And, and so Erica mentioned informational interviews. Some of you, I mean, how many of you have reached out to somebody on LinkedIn or otherwise, and they didn't respond, or maybe they looked at your LinkedIn profile, never reached out, right? This is a problem. You're doing a lot wrong. This program will help you specifically get your LinkedIn profile ready, your resume ready, prepare interview questions, ready, mock interviews, everything you need to get hired into UX. Most importantly, people will answer you because there's a, a member's directory in cheeky scientist People help those who invest in themselves. You're reaching out. Listen, I've done this too. When I was first looking for a job, you reach out to people on LinkedIn. Otherwise you're like, please help me. Basically, that's what you say. I have all these skills. Can you help me get hired? Or, Hey, I have all these skills. Can you get on the phone with me and talk to me? 
Most people say no because they can't differentiate you from all the other people that are just kind of looking around and exploring. They don't have time for that. They don't have time to review your resume if you're not serious. By being a member in the user experience squad, other user experience squad members working in UX will see you've invested in yourself. You're serious, you have skin in the game. You're not wasting their time. They also can trust you because you've been trained on the Cheeky Scientist professional methodology. So they will reciprocate. They will set up those informational interviews. They will help you. You're self-selecting. You're showing people that you are actually doing something and not just looking around like every other academic expecting more free pizza at a seminar. This matters. It really is the difference maker. Now, in terms of getting hired, what's unique about the user experience process? We'll talk about interviewing specifically, but portfolios or specific types of questions, uh, maybe a way of testing you. What's unique about this this process, Erica? Right. Uh, yeah, you mentioned portfolios. I think uh, more and more job require you to at least have a portfolio. You don't have to have a website. It could be a PDF file hosted somewhere. The, the goal of portfolio is just showcase to people, even though you don't have industry experience, you know what research is, you know what you speak the UX language, that's what the portfolio is for. Yes. And then there's also a design element to it because you're going to work with designers. So it's it's vital mm -hmm. also to demonstrate that you have the basic not understanding of what constitutes as a good design. And in the interview process, uh, usually, there is a, a case study or a homework during the late interviews. You, you might be asked to present an hour, do an hour long presentation on a, on a project you worked on. And uh, you might also be asked to do a mock interview with people and write a mock report so that they can see your research skills in action. And then they can see how your language or the presentation aligned with their expectation. Mm. Yeah, perfect. And, you know, what I, what I want to do is I, I want to cover both of those topics in detail. And those are the last two topics we're going to have time for. So again, if you're here, you want to get hired into this program. There's no other program out there specifically for user experience research, specifically for PhDs. This is the program and you get lifetime access. So you got everything to gain. Uh, I want to talk about portfolios and interview questions. Okay. We're trying to cover again, as much ground as we can. So let's touch on portfolios. You mentioned that this is more and more, uh, what websites could you use, you know, just as examples? I know we train on it in the program, but uh, what might you want to put in your portfolio? If you have one of our attendees apply for a job with you on your team, Erica, what would you want to see in there where you'd be like, yes, I, I need to hire this person, even if they don't have ex industry experience? Right. I would like to see a summary of who you are. And then I was want to see a list of projects you, you've worked on. And in those projects, I, I would specifically look for what is this what is the problem you're trying to solve? What did you do to, you know, try to solve the problem? And what's the action or recommended action you, you take that, you know, can actually solve the problem? So it's more hands-on, uh, have a, the result should be more actionable instead of kind of just, you know, your 120 pages dissertation on website that's not going to cut it, yeah. Yeah. And so, so again, I want to come back to those two things. One, you have, you have to have a challenge, right? Some kind of challenge, but you got to, at the end result, make something that's actionable. That's that synthesis part that we were talking about before you're trained on this in the program, but you got to be able to give a recommendation. This is where most PhDs, they really fail because we're really good at talking about theory, discovery, possibilities. At the end of the day, you got to say, this is my recommendation based on the data. This is what's going to help the business the most, but this part too, don't forget 
you know, personas, user journeys, just so really quickly, what could somebody do to show their understanding of the importance of personas and user journeys in a portfolio, Erica? Right. So one of my personas, I, I actually pulled that out from my dissertation. It was not a UX project, but I frame it as a UX project. And the personas is just the, the people I interviewed. I gave them a snapshot of what they look like, uh, what their goals, what their likes, dislikes, uh, frustrations are. You know, it's, it's, it's like a snapshot of, yes. of your audience. Yeah. yeah and the you... user journey. Yes. No, no. Keep going. Sorry. Oh, user journey. It's... Um, it's a story. It's from the beginning to the end, like a hero's journey to buy grocery, right? You go out the door, you go into the grocery store, you grab the items, you check out, and that, that is a journey. And, uh, and then as a researcher, you need to identify what are each of the pain points in each of the key stages of uh, those journey. Right. And if you're thinking like, oh, journeys, hero journey stories, I don't have time for this. Well, guess what? It's going to be hard for you to even graduate if you don't learn to tell a story. I mean, how many of you have heard from a professor or whoever else for any paper or grant that you have to tell a story? Even academia is not immune to the power of story. Reviewers are not immune to the power of story. Story is everything we learn as humans in terms of stories. It's biological. You need to understand this, okay? All right, this is your chance to be on the leading edge for once. You've been behind you know, for a long time in academia. You're way behind in terms of your job search and in terms of your career and where you're going to end up. This is your chance because you happen to show up to be on the leading edge to jump forward because this career path is surging. We have the data. We have the people. We're showing it to you. No matter your background, you can fit into this role. It's an exciting role. You get paid well. You just need to get the training. You're not above the process. So Erica, let's talk about interviewing. Lots of different types of interviews here. I'm just showing everybody the types of interviews you'll be trained on. We see a lot of panel interviews happening by video now. Uh, behavioral interview questions are tough. Why? I can read your portfolio that you made about yourself. I can read your resume that you made about yourself, your LinkedIn profile. I'm not going to hire you based solely on what you talk about yourself, right? I wish I, wish I could, as an employer, bring you on and have you work for a week and then decide whether or not to hire you, but there's too many issues. Like it would disrupt the team if this was happening all the time. There's liability issues. So the best that employers can do is ask you, give you like a stress test, right? Ask you behavioral interview questions. Ask you tough questions about how you see yourself, how you see others. They'll try to relax you on maybe a lunch or a dinner, depending on where you're at, if you can still go to a site visit, get you to put your guard down to see what you're really like, and then ask you questions. But for user experience questions, what are some that you can expect? We have these categories here, the trainings in the program, but Erica, if you were going to hire somebody that's attending here, what are some of the questions within these four categories that you might ask? Right. So in the training and background, I think, yeah, what, why do you want to join, become a UX researcher? Um, and then a little bit about, especially if you are a PhD, I want to know why are you, you know, want to leave academia and join this field? Um, in, the, in terms of UX knowledge, um, that I will usually ask, you know, give me some example of, uh, of your past project. Uh, what method did you use and why did you come up with those methods? So it's, it could be more specific about methodology and about, about uh, yeah, the, inter the, the knowledge is A, whether or not you can do it, whether or not you know what you're doing and B is 
when you're referring to the methodology or when you're referring to the things you use, are you, are you, are you speaking the UX language? Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that the research process and knowledge is kind of a, I think it's a combination. Um, it's really hard to distinguish. And then there's also the hard questions about how are you going to handle a difficult stakeholder? What if somebody do not like your research results? What are you going to do? You know, the, the, the behavior questions, I think, are the, are the hardest ones. And the, I was on a hiring panel for, for several times. And that was when I, re, I noticed whether or not this person can actually push back uh, on certain requests and whether or not these people can advocate the UX value just in terms of what they say about the, mm. you know, past behavior ex- examples and et cetera. Yeah. Great examples, Erica, just such a wealth of knowledge. I'm Isaiah Henkel, the founder of Cheeky Scientist and the creator of the Cheeky Scientist Association. I wanted to quickly tell you that memberships into the association are available to PhDs listening to Cheeky Scientist Radio by using the coupon code CheekyRadio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com, P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser Scroll down to the orange membership button and click on it, then enter the coupon code CheekyRadio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. That's CheekyRadio, C-H-E-E-K-Y-R-A-D-I-O. Remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. Are you worried about the rapidly shrinking job market? Like me, have you been seeing more and more articles on universities shutting down their research labs, furloughing employees, cutting postdocs and TAs, and even withdrawing PhD student funding? If so, it might be wise to start taking steps to protect your PhD career. You've worked very hard and very intelligently for years to establish yourself, but likely you have not reached your full career potential yet. Perhaps you're not even getting respect and you're not getting the rewards that you deserve. The good news is you can get into an industry career where you can get paid well for doing meaningful work. All you need is the right knowledge and the right network. The Cheeky Scientist Association gives you lifetime access to the world's number one PhD-only job search training platform with multiple courses and the PhD-only job referral network of over 10,000 plus industry PhDs. Now is your chance to become a lifetime member for 20% off of the association. Just use the coupon code CheekyRadio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com. P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser Scroll to the orange membership button and click on it and enter the coupon code CheekyRadio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. No recurring monthly fees, no recurring annual fees. Nobody else offers this. PhDsGetHired.com. Use the coupon code CheekyRadio. Remember your value as a PhD 
And remember that knowledge is power and your network is your net worth. Oh, <laughs> oh,